0: amen you can grab a seat can I take you back in time for a minute to a glorious era in Midwestern history called the 1990s for me it was the best of times Wednesday night youth group I wasn't a cadet because I was in the assemblies of God I was a royal ranger anybody anybody was a royal ranger It's essentially cadets for for the Assemblies of God folks. And Wednesday nights, our Wednesday night teacher actually worked for a donut company, and so he would bring nearly unlimited donuts to Wednesday night youth group. And so picture 12, 13 year old boys eating five or six donuts. And then we'd get red Kool Aid. Again, you know, we know now that that red dye and that Kool-Aid's not good, and particularly for 12- and 13-year-old boys. And I can remember one particular Wednesday night where we were sitting down there with our five or six donuts and our red Kool-Aid. And then one of the coolest things of Wednesday night happened. They pushed in the 32-inch TV screen with a VCR. Yeah, the 90s, a glorious era. And we got so excited, we're gonna watch a movie. But what came up on the screen was this, can you put that image of the beast? This was the movie, this is a intense movie. Some of you know these movies that came out of the dispensationalists, something we can talk about in theology lectures. But for someone fueled with Kool-Aid, downing six donuts, watching this movie, and essentially the premise of this movie is how people need to get the 666 either on their hands or on their foreheads or they can't buy or sell. And if they're caught without that 666 on their forehead, their heads are gonna get chopped off by a guillotine. And within the first two minutes, if you can watch the trailer on YouTube, you see heads rolling. I was absolutely terrified. Can you picture me, a sixth grader? Can you put that picture of me up? Picture me, this guy, as a sixth grader. No, not the cool French horn player, with the nice buzz cut, the guy with pretty much the same glasses I have today. Like, terrified. I think my friend Nate, as we saw these heads, just like, God, it's crazy. I I watched part of it last night. i was still terrified. As we saw these heads spinning, as we reflected on the second coming of Christ, we were terrified. I think it was traumatic. Probably for two weeks, I had nightmares. And for the next few years, when I heard about the coming of Christ, the advent of Jesus, I would freak out. It fueled fear in me. I sat at home alone, and my mom was 10 minutes late. We didn't have cell phones back then. I'm like, did Jesus come back? Did I miss him? (laughs) If I didn't get a mark on my head, was my head going to roll too in the guillotine, like in that movie? As I got older, high school Jeremy, I don't have that picture, sorry. High school Jeremy said the coming of Christ, thought the coming of Christ was less about fear, but I was actually worried I was going to miss out on the good things of life. When I thought about the coming of Jesus, I was like, well, I hope he doesn't come back before I get a girlfriend, before I have my first kiss, before I get to drive a super cool car, before I get married, before I have sex, before I have kids. I was hoping that I'd get to tick off all those bucket lists, check them all off before Jesus came. Essentially, I was wanting to get all the good things of life before Jesus came and took them all away. What about you, were you ever like sixth grade Jeremy? When you hear about Christ's second coming, you just freak out. What comes to mind, do you hope, like high school Jeremy, to just get everything you can, all the good stuff out of life, before Christ's return? Maybe a few of you, if you're honest, you're praying Christ returns at 7.55 tomorrow morning before your next exam. Brothers, maybe it's something very different. Maybe you see the brokenness, the pain, the hurt, the injustice in the world and say, Jesus, what is going on? Why don't you come back? Why don't you fix this mess? Others of us, maybe you don't feel anything. Maybe you don't think about anything when you hear this word advent and you're Starting to then feel, well, I'm in a Christian university. I should know about the advent of Jesus. And you spiral because you don't quite know what to think. How do we live between the two advents of Jesus? Between his first coming and his second coming? Or maybe a different way of asking asking this question as we wrap up this deeper still series. Is what does it look like to be led by the spirit in the waiting? Let's turn to Luke 2. It'll be up on the screen, but in verse 25, this is happening just right after what we just sang about, the the manger, the angels, the shepherds, the birth of Jesus. And this is where Mary, Joseph, and the few-day-old baby Jesus are heading to the temple in Jerusalem for purification and dedication. Hear these words from Luke. Luke. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. The central focus of this passage is that Simeon, and also a couple verses later, the prophetess Anna recognized the fullness of God's plan, God's cosmic salvation in a baby. Yet Luke, Luke's a theologian of the Spirit, as we've looked at Luke and Acts in this series. And Luke makes a point to highlight the Spirit's activity in the lives of those who are waiting. Can you put up that that verse? And I want you to look at these bold texts that the Holy Spirit was on him, the Holy Spirit revealed to him, and Simeon was moved by the Spirit. Simeon's a devout man waiting for the coming of Jesus, the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the Messiah. And his entire life was oriented towards that future intervention of God. Scripture says God rested on him and also led him, prompted, revealed to Simeon in that waiting And under the impulse of the Spirit, Simeon's brought into this temple courts. And with a spiritual sight born out of his closeness to God, Simeon recognizes the tiny child, a few-day-old baby Jesus, as God's salvation. Not only to his people, the Jews, but to everybody. Now think about the Nativity passage just a few verses earlier, still in Luke 2. You know, the one about the shepherds and angels. Let's contrast that for a minute. The shepherds recognize Jesus, they recognize God's salvation where? In the angels, in the singing, and the glory, and this big, massive outbreak. This miraculous sign of singing angels. But the spiritual eyes of Simeon, of Anna, they perceive God's plan of salvation and hope through seeing a little child. Shepherds experience the spontaneous outbreak of God's activity in the field But Simeon and Anna perceive God's activity in the ordinary through constant faithful service and lives continually under the leadership of the Spirit. I think for me and maybe for you, we constantly or often expect God's coming kingdom in the big, the grand, the unexpected, the blazing lights, the singing angels. But the Spirit-filled Simeon reminds us that the kingdom of God, that Christ's advent God's cosmic salvation comes where? Well, sometimes at a baby dedication. As we wait for Jesus' coming, we're called to live in tune with the Spirit. The spirit-filled Simeon reminds us that we're not passively waiting for an outbreak of the Holy Spirit, another spontaneous miracle of the kingdom, a big massive sign of God's leading like the shepherd saw. But instead, if we're willing, the Spirit is producing in us an aligned, sensitive heart that seeks God's activity where? Everywhere, in all things, at all times. Are you looking for a big sign from God? but maybe missing out on the kingdom activity, which seems insignificant in the people right around you. We often seek God in the big stuff. Will I get this interview, this internship, this job? Should I get married this summer or next summer? Come on, we're at door, right? Should I change majors or not? into the semester. I pray and know that God does speak in these moments. But as I've reflected on this entire series of deeper still I'm reminded of all of these scriptural passages we've dug into the last semester and reminded that the spirit's activity is not confined to breaking out in big signs but the spirit is actively helping us in our daily life in the nitty gritty and we need to learn to be in tune to the spirit or as paul says to walk by the spirit how do we wait for the second advent of jesus by being in tune with the spirit Thank God, instruments can be tuned, right? That sixth grade saxophonist, Jeremy, even knew that. Like, if an instrument gets cold or gets a little too hot or gets bumped accidentally or just gets played for a long time, it can go out of tune, But if we stay engaged as musicians, for me as a saxophonist, if I work on my embouchure all the time and keep it up, play every, every day or at least a few times a week, I'm in tune. I sound better. In this hour, there's so many theologies, ideologies, political views, feelings, emotions, traumatic situations, stressors. We got to be in tune with the Spirit. And this is done with steadfast, faithful, constant tuning and retuning of our hearts. Sometimes it might be to be more present. Sometimes it might be to stop talking and start listening. Sometimes it might be that we need to confess or to forgive. Sometimes not to simply read God's word, but actually to start to do it, to live out the kingdom ethics. Yes, the Spirit falls on people in spontaneous and big ways, and I hope you see and experience the Spirit in that. I can remember leading worship in Turkey and and Muslim friends coming in and sitting down as we sang to Jesus, and they had dreams of Jesus. That was a wild, dramatic encounter, and I pray that you have some of those. But I also pray that you don't miss out on the Spirit's continual direction and continual prompting in your life as you're dedicated to tuning and retuning to the Spirit's leadership. You see, if we're in tune with the Spirit, what does it really mean to be in tune with the Spirit? Well, it means we start to sound, look, and act like Jesus. How do we retune to the Spirit in our daily lives? We commit to daily walk in the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to lead you, to adjust your mind, to adjust your heart, to convict you, to shift your attitudes or actions as the Spirit illuminates God's Word and as you begin to walk it out. For us as a family, we try to do this at dinner time. We have a CRC, family prayer book, that we use from time to time, and we open it up, and some, I see some smiles. Others might have those, or maybe as a, as a kid, your family did this. And one of the prayers we pray is simply this that's in that liturgy. Spirit, help me see. We take our hands and put them over our eyes and then as a family we say spirit help me hear." we grab our ears to remind us that we can hear the spirit then we place our hands on our heart and say spirit help me love the prayer continues come Lord Jesus send us your spirit renew the face of the earth This simple prayer enables us to retune to the spirits activity all around us in the world around us in our school but also in one another's lives, those that are sitting together at the table. Sometimes our waiting for the coming of the Spirit, we think we just need to have good cognitive thoughts and good beliefs about the Spirit, and that's critical. But also this waiting for the Spirit is awareness of the Spirit's movement and discernment of His activity and an invitation by the Spirit to partner. The Spirit's on us, the Spirit's in us, the Spirit is revealing The Holy Spirit is moving. And when we're in tune, we can play in both the majors and minors of the life. We saw that in Simeon's own ministry, he's able to prophesy this major, in this major key as he's in tune with the Spirit. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared to the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He sees that there's, power happening and yet simultaneously he can play in the minor key. He prophesies to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many into Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too, Mary. When the hard times come reminding us of our brokenness of a healer, we can play in tune with the spirit in those ma- minor keys and in moments of great joy where sacrificial love is all around us, we can play in those major keys. We can recognize the already and not yet of the kingdom being in tune with the Spirit. Recognizing that there is consolation, but there's a cost. We're recognizing that He has come, but there's still pain and there's salvation, but also a struggle. In tune with the Spirit, we groan for justice, we cry out for healing, we yearn for God's kingdom to break in. We're desperate for a prince of peace, the king of all kings, to come set all things right. Where might the spirit be calling you to play in those minor keys, groaning for our community around us? Is there a situation that God is tuning your heart to partner with the spirit? The kingdom activity I Invite you to pray in tune with the spirit. Like Simeon, though, we can also play in those major keys. Seeing and calling out foretastes of God's future kingdom as it breaks into the present moment. Playing in tune with the spirit, we play notes of victory. We play sounds of a coming righteous and just king that we get to be able to play over, under, and within. The sounds of brokenness and darkness and pain in our current state. In some churches, though, we pretend we have to always be positive. That was one of the churches I grew up in. Other streams, we never stop highlighting our brokenness, our depravity. But between toxic positivity or graceless, graceless depravity, we have Christian hope. Hope's not based on your personality, your personal outlook. Additionally, Christian hope isn't created by your own efforts, but comes from and through our Creator, our Protector. Christian hope is rooted and a loving, active, personal God, our creator, our soon coming king, and the spirit, who is our helper and comforter. Sorrow and pain and darkness are present, but joy, healing, and light are breaking in, and often they're breaking in through the spirit's activity in you and me. We're waiting for our king. And as we wait, let's tune up with the Spirit. Let's prepare for the end of the age feast or the renewal of the new age party, the wedding feast of the Lamb where Christ returns, sets everything right, and gathers his family to make up a nation's to feast. Do you hear that call? Listen to these words from Isaiah. This is a prophet of hope, a prophet of joy that's often read at Advent. The band can come up. As I read, picture that future party, the joy that is to come. The hope that's breaking in, sometimes in big and small ways. The prophet Isaiah says this, On this mountain the Lord will prepare a rich feast of food for all the people. A banquet of well-aged wine, the best of meals, the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Let's tune our hearts to that. There's a Reformed theologian that I've come to really appreciate that maybe says it just a slightly different way. Says it this way. When we gather as God's people, we go fishing into the future and bring the promised realities of Jesus, his final fulfillment, into the present. In the busyness of the end of the semester, how does the Spirit want to manifest his presence through you? Who is God wanting to use you to reveal his kingdom to. How is he prompting a retuning in your heart to be able to play in those major and minor keys? Let's pray. God, would you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to your coming kingdom. And as we prepare to celebrate your first arrival in Bethlehem, let us attune to the activity of your spirit as we wait for your second coming. Holy Spirit, we recognize that your activity in us isn't primarily about us having a better life or even helping us through the tough times. You are helping us to participate in God's activity to make all things new, propel us and empower us to that task. Let's open our ears to hear that tension, the already and not yet, but God, would you allow us to taste a foretaste of that heavenly banquet when sickness is gone, when nations are no longer pulled apart, by politicians but the king rules and reigns. Make every heart ready. Help us, Holy Spirit, to prepare for your rule and reign. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing?